1: Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control.
2: Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today.
0: Thanks, Kate. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here.
2: Now, you're the first time we've had a actual lawyer on the show, so it's pretty exciting. And We're talking about wills and estates today, which is not everyone's favorite topic, but it's certainly an important one. And before we get started, David, it would be great if you could just sort of explain a little bit more about what you do and what your role is at State Trustees.
0: Oh, that's fine. Yes, Kate. My title is Senior Advisor with uh, State Trustees, and basically it means providing the uh, technical and legal support in relation to a state administration. People don't actually um, know a lot about trustee companies. They've heard the term, they don't always know, but Trustee companies will be in each individual state they're often referred to as the public trustee in some of the other states and they fulfill a quite a role a range of functions one of the things they do is they they manage the affairs the financial affairs of people who can't manage their own monies which is a very sort of important and responsible role um, we manage a lot of trusts and uh, there's lots of different sorts of trusts whether it's sort of miners trusts or from uh, work cover superannuation or charitable trusts or even the government providing funds for a particular purpose and we hold those funds and distribute them. And, of course, trusts arising from estates. So um, we write lots of wills and powers of attorney and, of course, we um, manage deceased estates and that's sort of my area where I'm involved. And really a trustee company becomes involved with estates in, uh, again, a variety of different ways people can appoint a trustee company like state trustees in their will uh, to be the executor of the estate or someone who is able to otherwise manage an estate may authorise state trustees to act on their behalf. But importantly, we, we're actually the default administrator for the state of Victoria. And again, the public trustee companies in the different states will you know, be in the same role for the estates. And that means when there's no one else who's ready, willing or able to uh, administer an estate, we step in and we take over that function. And you might say, well, why would that um, ever happen? Well, sometimes you can't find the executor or the executor doesn't want to act or can't act, maybe incapable because they've lost capacity or something of that nature. So it's actually quite often that state trustees get involved and as a result of that, we get a, uh, referrals from a variety of sources, things like the coroner's courts or hospitals or retirement villages, those sorts of places. Um, when they can't find the person who administer the estate, the trustee company will come in. And also um, with courts, um, if there are issues because it's complex or there's dispute or delay or whatever else and they need someone to come in and administer the estate, they'll look at someone like um, state trustees. So that's the area which I'm involved in my particular day-to-day role is I will look at all of the new estates and look at the documentation, the wills, and consider the assets and the beneficiaries and try and identify any legal or risk issues and um, try and assist in the allocation. And in an ongoing way, I'll I'll sort of um, have a hand in um, managing the more complex estates. So uh, it keeps me busy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's good to know that something like this exists because um, up until a few weeks ago, I wasn't really aware that there was a state trustee body either. So I think it's probably something people don't come across until later on in life, but it's good to be aware that it exists early on.
0: Sure, sure. And of course, we don't want to have to think about uh, estates, but um, perhaps think about it in terms of others in your family as well. But no, it's very important that um, you do have a will. I mean, it's um, you know, and basically the reason you have a will is so you can determine where your assets are going to go if something was ever to happen to you and, um, you know, you have some degree of control over what's going to happen. But it's actually more than that. People just think it's just in terms of, of your assets, but it's actually an opportunity to do things like to express wishes, things that are pretty important to you. End-of-life wishes are important. You know, People have views about whether they want to be buried or cremated or where ashes are scattered or whatever it might be, or non-religious, it doesn't matter, but you get your opportunity to express that view. It might be for um, uh, young people who have young children and they can express a view as to who they would want to be the guardian of their child if both parents happen to pass away. That's that that chance. Things like pets, that's you know, very important to people. What might happen to my pets if I go? Who's going to look after them? Or is there a charitable organisation like an RSPCA in Victoria who will um, be able to look after them under their bequest program? You get to do those sorts of things. But also more importantly, or just as importantly, you get to select who's going to manage your estate. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because that's a, a pretty important consideration. But with a will, you can be creative. You can actually do things. I can gift specific items. I can mm. give amounts of money called legacies. I can do things like give money to a charity or to an organisation. I can establish trusts. It's, you can be creative. These are the sorts of things that you can't do if you actually don't have a will yourself.
2: Mm.
0: you don't have a will, you're said to have died in test and that's uh, basically, you know, the laws of intestacy is basically set out by legislation. And what that does is that's just, it's you know, it's, it, it's a formula. It's going to tell you how your assets will be divided and you'll have no say in it and no discretion. Now, whilst the various states may differ, we're generally the same. We don't have a uniform legislation throughout Australia at the moment, which is regrettable, but um, we're moving towards it. But essentially there's an order that's set out which will, you know, it'll your property will pass to a partner. A partner can be a spouse or a domestic partner, uh, then to children or grandchildren, and then you go up the scale to parents and siblings and the like. And there's this order that, you know, finishes with um first cousins and in many states. If you don't have a relation as close as a first cousin, then it will actually go to the government, which may not be something that you necessarily yeah. <laughs> uh, want to have occurred. But, um, you know, being a set order, the formula may suit you, but equally it may not. Mm-hmm. And let's think about some of the consequences or that, that could occur. Let's say you've grown up in a in a family where you've got stepchildren that you just consider as part of family. That just always just think of them as as your family. But because they're not of blood, they are not built into the formula, and they won't take. When you've got things like someone who's married but separated, someone who's separated it might be estranged, might be separated for years. But because they're not divorced, that person would still be entitled, and that may not be the result. <coughs> That you really want. Might be the last person in the world that you want.
2: Yeah, I can imagine that getting very messy.
0: Okay, but where it's, I think, probably the hardest is things like second relationships. And you you have situations where someone might have a child to a first relationship, whatever reason that ends, and there's a new partner. How do you divide between the partner, current partner, and the child of the previous relationship? Well, you know we, you know the formula will set it out, and these days, and it hasn't always been the case, that there's actually a, a greater emphasis on the partner. Previously, there was probably more bias towards the children. Now that may or may not suit. It's simply the question is that's how it is, and that division of your property may not be what you want. And of course we can have these unintended consequences. You can imagine the the nephew that you detest or you don't even see all of a sudden finishes up with half your estate. It's not what you want. And you've got the ability to control what happens by having a will. Okay. So under intestacy, no gifts and legacies. You can't give it to friends and charities and organisations. You can't set up trusts. You lose that control. So, Everybody should have a will, Kate. They should.
2: Yeah, From the age of 18,
0: is it, is it right? <laughs> well, that, that's, that's right. Even younger if you've got children. But um, people actually say, look, but I'm young. Why do I need a will? And what I'd say to them is, look, the will is a document that endures. It's not just for now. I mean, whilst we hope that everyone listening has a long and happy life, statistics will tell us that it's not going to be the case for absolutely everybody, which is regrettable, but that's 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 the reality. You make a will now, there's no end date unless you revoke it or unless there's certain circumstances which we can talk about. But basically, it's there and it continues. Now, we know that we should review it um, um, frequently to make sure it still is applicable, but it is there and if something was to happen to you, you had some say over what happens to your, your assets. I'd also say that people... Kate, who are listening to this podcast, are people who are interested in their finances. And, you know, they're, they're people who, you know, okay, they're likely to be working or creating their own businesses, or even if they're students, they're at least thinking about it and trying to think and plan for their future. And this is part of your asset planning. This is part of protection. This is part of providing for people that you. Have a responsibility for or you want to provide for this is your opportunity to do it so you can become involved at an early time. But I'd also be a bit surprised if they didn't have any assets at all. Even if they're doing casual work and the like, these days, not just your wages, but superannuation. It's becoming a a larger potential resource or asset. And very often, in addition to your contributions, there's a a a death benefit component and that can be in certain circumstances quite significant so it might be an asset there that you're not quite realizing but like most people have a bank account might be modest but you might have a car you might have your your mate and guitar your your collectible (laughs) your ash barty signed racket that's now worth zillions um um, yeah but um, but but also there might be things that are quite important to you like if your your grandfather's war medals or something like that, something that you want to remain in the family or deal with in a particular way, that could be important to you. Your assets assets might be modest now, doesn't mean they're always going to be. And at least you've got a will. And if you want to change, if your circumstances change, then you can change your will. But you should have a will as a starting point.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind because I think a lot of young people probably go, "Oh, I don't really have." I don't have any investments yet. There's nothing to leave in a will, but yeah. maybe we forget about super. And maybe if we start with a will earlier on, then we don't have to think about it until we have a major life change, which is is really important thing to get sorted out. One of the other things that I think people often ask is whether they should use one of those DIY will kits from a post office. Yes. or the. There's a few startups popping up online that do like $99 online will reviewed by a real lawyer or something like that. What what do you think about those, or are they a bit dangerous?
0: Okay. There is a place for will kits and online wills. State trustees, in fact, have the will kits that you've probably seen in the post office. We have the online interactive um, wills at the moment that you can do online, mm. but there are reservations. You need to understand and read the directions so you know what you're doing. They are designed for basic straightforward estates and there are a lot of basic straightforward estates and so you know I don't want to be dismissive of them but it really is for you know I want to leave these items to A, B and C, I want to leave the rest of my estate to D and if D doesn't survive me for 30 days then I'll give it to E. Those sorts of um, estates where it's basic and straightforward then it might be uh, fine if you're confident of um, reading and following instructions But in many cases, you really do need and you're far better off getting professional advice and going to a solicitor or a trustee company to do your will. So I would not recommend it where you've got things like complicated assets, particularly if it was sort of investment assets and there are tax implications. If you've got um, ownership of a company or a trust, um, complicated assets like overseas, but also things like if there's likely to be disputation in, in your family, if you think people might fight over it or someone might... Uh, want to be running a claim against the estate or you've got a beneficiary with a disability. All of those things, you really do need professional advice and what we call consultative wills. In other words, go and see a professional who can actually not only make sure that it's um, uh, valid in terms of the, the rules, but also they can walk you through what's included, not included, what are the ramifications of what you're doing. So will kits, routine, but generally, I prefer people get a um, a proper uh, will done through a professional.
2: Yeah, because I heard in, well, I haven't only heard about Victoria because that's where I am, but the signature rules are quite tough for wills. And if you get them wrong, then the will can be invalid. Yes, it can.
0: Now, it's interesting that when you actually look to see what is required for a will to be valid. There's very few requirements. um, It'll surprise people. As long as you've got full age and capacity to do it, leave that to one side, the requirements for a will essentially are that it's a document in writing. It is signed and witnessed by two people who are in the same place at the same time and made with the intention of being a will. That's it. That's all of the rules about being a valid will. But it's amazing how often I see examples of people who make it up that it's not signed properly or it's not witnessed by two people and, and the like. And um, people say, well, when does that happen? But you see examples like someone later, oh, I'll just alter my will. I'll just put a line through this 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 line over here and Auntie Mary's gone, so I'll give it to Uncle Bill or, no, nah, I don't like them anymore, so I'll cross him out and put someone else in. Again, you need the same formalities of signed and witnessed and the like. And when those things aren't done, yeah, there is the potential that it could fail. I mean, some of the, the issues or errors are modest. They might be just, you know, these, these internal rules for the probate office that it needs to be signed on each page, it need to be signed with the same pen. Now, some of those things aren't fatal. You can cure them, but of course it means you've got to present evidence. It's going to be costly. It's going to cause delay. Those things cause angst to your relatives who are wanting the will to be proved. So um, uh, that's it. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why you go to a professional, you get it right. Or if you're doing a will kit, read the instructions and make sure that you know what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So you can't keep keep just editing it every time you have a falling out with
0: someone. Well, you, you can change your Unless will. Unless you do it properly. Yes, that's right. So you've got to do it properly. But look, also the problems that I see, mistakes actually in terms of the operation of the will itself, mm. things like no gift over clause. Now you'll say, what does that mean?
2: Yeah, I was about to ask that. <laughs>
0: that's right. Well, it's no you're saying, well, I shouldn't say no you're saying. You'll see wills that says, I leave all of my estate to A, full stop. That's fine. But A doesn't survive you by 30 days. Mm. And so where does it go from there? Effectively, the will will fail. You'll finish up with an intestacy, which is what you tried to avoid in the first place by having a will. (laughs) And it's something that can be relatively easily cured by saying, you know, I give my estate to A, but in the event that A does not survive me for a period of 30 days, then I give it to B and C. All right, so there's that fallback position where someone else can get it, and your will doesn't fail. So again, that's very important when we're talking about children and grandchildren. So legislation covers that. But once we go into like siblings, if a sibling died, did you want it to go to their children? Now that may not be the case. You may not want to. So it might be I leave it to my sibling. But if they a sibling predeceases me, I give it to the lost dogs home. Whatever it might be, <laughs> it's your choice. It's what you want to do. Another uh, mistake that I sometimes see, which is a pretty important, again, why you need advice, is no residue clause. And what I mean by no residue clause is we need to deal with all of the assets. What we don't want to do is to have a black hole where there's an asset that's not being dealt with and, again, might finish up having to be dealt with by intestacy. And I see it, you know, I see wills, you know, I want my Toronto motor vehicle, my ANZ account, you know, my record collection, my socks, and my furniture, all to A, B, and C, whatever it might be. By the time the person passes on, all of a sudden they've got Westpac accounts, they've got a BMW car, they've been incredibly successful in life, they bought shares post <laughs> the world, the whole lot, and of course they're not provided for. Mm. And so it could have been so easily provided for by saying, you know, after whatever gifts you want to make. And I leave the balance of my estate to A. And then, of course, you've A predecessors me to B and C. But again, you have this catch-all clause. Mm. I leave the balance of my estate to. So whatever assets, whether they're post-acquired assets after the will, they're covered for in the will. It makes provision for it. But what we're wanting to do, Kate, is to avoid informal wills, and they are the wills that are not executed according to the rules, and we see it all of the time. I mean, um, people want to also talk about the sort of the the modern examples where they've seen that someone's proved a will that was on a computer, or on a mobile phone, or was a video recording. And to be fair, there were some. There's been some cases where documents like that have been proved as an informal will, mm. but I it's quite complicated. Our law has not yet evolved to the point where these video recordings, text messages, computers and the like are accepted as of right because they're not signed and witnessed in the way provided for by the rules. Now, to be fair, during COVID times, they've actually, in Victoria, had special rules that's enabled wills to be signed electronically in certain mm-hmm. circumstances. So I'm sure the law is moving that way. When we get better encryption, when we get better at just recognising digital signatures, those sorts of things, I'm sure that's where we'll finish, but we're not at it yet. So when someone says, oh, but I had heard of a case where a will on a computer was proved, I'll say, yes, it was. There's (laughs) probably a person who also sent a text message saying, I'm about to do myself in. I've just um, did something on my uh, computer that I've emailed to you Sorry, it's all been too much because very often it's in the that context of a, a suicide death where they're able to give other evidence that this was intended to be the person's will at the date of death because mm. one of the things, Kate, is you might go to a computer and find there's a, a will on the computer, but how do you know that that was intended to be their final will? How do you know it wasn't mm. a draft? How do you know they weren't still thinking about it? It's part of signing and witnessing and made with the intention of being a will that you actually Mm. prove that's what I want for me. So if you have to go to court to prove these things, it can be very costly. Mm. You've got to do things like call capacity evidence because it's not assumed. You've got to give evidence as to how it was made, where it was found, did they have a prior will, who's affected, and you know, that sometimes um, can be a a very onerous um, expense.
2: Yeah, and probably quite a traumatic experience too.
0: And you may not succeed. So um, that's why you want to get your will done and you want it done properly the first time.
2: Yeah, I heard one, one person say once, like, Putting a will together, right, is one of the kindest things you can do for your loved ones, and it definitely sounds like that.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's, it, it, I mean, we all want to think about um, you know asset protection and ourselves during lifetime, but we also got to think about the people we have a responsibility for uh, when we've gone. Yeah, particularly um, you know when you're people listening here, you know, partner or have children or whatever in the future, we need to be very conscious, mindful of them. It's also important to understand caters to what can be gifted in a will and not? Because sometimes there can be a little bit of confusion or uncertainty as to whether everything you own is actually able to be gifted in your will. And the answer is not necessarily. And I'll just give a couple of examples to make the point. Yeah. It's important, I think, that people understand how property is owned, particularly real property, you know, houses, land, whatever else. You can own it with another person in different ways. It Mm. can be jointly held as joint tenants or it can be held as tenants in common. If it's a joint tenant, what it actually means is A and B own it jointly. There's no distinct shares. Mm. When something happens to A, it automatically passes in ownership to B. Mm. It doesn't become part of your estate. You can't gift it. It's already gone to B. All right. So it's not in your in your estate. If, however, you own that same property as A and B, as in I own one of two shares, B owns the other of two shares, you own something distinctly, you own a distinct half share of that property, when you go, you can gift that share in your will to whoever you want to do. So different outcomes is Mm -hmm. why you need to sometimes understand property ownership. Not just say, oh, I know how to fill in the the form. You've got to understand what goes behind it. Because another example is superannuation. Potentially, superannuation can be one of your biggest assets.
2: Mm, yeah, definitely with it. like It's already 10% of your income going off to super, yeah. so it's increasing.
0: Co- correct. Plus, you have the potential death benefit. Yeah. But that may or may not come to your estate. Mm. It depends upon your fund. The discretion of the fund manager in determining where it's going to go. And the fund manager will actually sit down and have regard to your will, but it's also going to have regard to do you have dependents. It's going to have regard to have you made a nomination. You can do binding nominations or non-binding nominations, which the trustee of the fund will have regard to, and it may or may not come to your estate. So when you're doing a will, You're also thinking about your total asset planning and thinking about things that may or may not come to the estate. Another one is these days, people own property in other jurisdictions, not just Mm. in the state in which you live or not just in the country in which you live. Mm. And it's all very well to have a will that says, this will is to apply to all of my assets throughout the world. If you go to Guatemala and they say, I don't care if you've got a will, we don't recognise it here, Mm. because lots of places have their own rules and don't have the same concept of wills that we do. And we're not talking about remote places. We're talking about a lot of Europe or Eastern Europe. We're talking about a lot of, say, Africa, some of the Asian nations, and and they're distribution of property on death might be more custom or religious orientated Mm. or they have certificates of inheritance or their own court systems and they don't necessarily recognize an Australian will. So again, if you've got those complicated assets, you just need some advice so you understand how those things will be dealt with in due course.
2: Yeah, and that's probably becoming more and more prevalent as, well, pre-COVID, there was a lot more people traveling and living overseas for a while and potentially having some investments or savings in a foreign country. So that's probably something to keep in mind as well when you're, when you're asking a lawyer for advice on that will, like what? how do you make sure that's dealt with as well?
0: Absolutely. A lot of people who listen to your podcast will be people who will travel overseas and will work overseas and will earn income overseas and will have bank accounts overseas and all those sorts of things. So absolutely they need to think about these sorts of things. And when they're thinking about these things, Kate, one of the things I really want them to think about is who do you choose as the person to administer your estate, to manage your estate when you're gone, the role we call the executor because you really need the right sort of person to do it. And I think in order for it to sort of determine who is the right sort of person, I think what we should say is what is the role of the executor? Because bear in mind, we're all thinking here about estate planning. What happens if the people listening to your podcast here, Kate, are actually asked to be the executor for someone else? You might be on the other side of the, of the legend. Mm. So you could be asked to be, and some people see it as an honour and a privilege to do it,
2: and it should be seen in that way, but it can also be quite onerous as well. You yeah, need I imagine work. a lot of people have been asking to, their parents might be asking them at this point in their life to be the executor.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, they could. And it's um, the sort of duties that they have to do, let's just run through a few and just um, think it through as to whether you're suited to this or not. A mm. person immediately upon someone's passing has to organise the funeral and arrange for the disposal of the body, burial, cremation, wow. whatever. You need to locate the will and do you know, Think if you're listening to this now, think about your parents or your next-door neighbour, where is their will? How would you <laughs> find it? How would you go about doing it? But you've got to locate it. You've then got to make an application to the court for a grant. Um, grant of probate is the order from the court that proves the will and authorises you to move forward and administer the estate. You then have to identify and call in assets. If it's your next-door neighbour who's just appointed you, what do you know about their assets? You've got to find out what their debts and obligations are because you've got to pay those things. You'll have to do taxation returns. That's all of the the tax returns to the date of death and thereafter the estate returns if it earns and generates income. You've got to... Um, then distribute according to the will or the laws of intestacy. So you've got to understand the laws of intestacy or understand what the will says and provides. And of course, because you're handling other people's money, you've got to have a full accounting of all of the monies you receive and expend. And besides that, Kate, unfortunately, there are times where there are some challenges. Like you've got three people and two, the wedding ring and the engagement ring of mums and all three want it, you are got, mm. got to resolve that dispute. And the chattel battles can be the <laughs> hardest thing, so they might be simple and straightforward, but Dad always promised me that painting in the wall. No, 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 he only ever loved me. He wanted me to have it, and um, you have those issues. Or you might even have someone who wants a greater provision from the estate, and you as the executor will have to manage and, you know, and make those sorts of decisions now to be fair you can go and get the assistance of solicitors trustee mm-hmm. companies but ultimately if you're the executor you're the decision maker you're the person who has personal
2: responsibility it sounds the- like a huge role especially if someone if it's your parents who have lived a, like a really long and happy life they've got a lot of items that everyone in the family wants they've got grandchildren like it it sounds like it would take a very long time to sort this out
0: it can be depending on the um uh, the complexity and and uh, the nature of the assets and uh, and the like i mean it depends how many uh, beneficiaries there are whether they all get on whether they're all in your local area Yes, and it, it, um, you know, has the will been done properly? Are there problems with capacity, mm-hmm. with execution, the whole lot? I mean, it, it can be. I don't. Want, I don't want to put the fear of God in people's <laughs> that They're all hard. I mean, lots and lots of estates are very routine and straightforward, and and are fine. They're much better when you've pre planned things mm-hmm. and you've got a will, and people know where it is, and your assets are well recorded, and um, there's not conflict within family if they assuming it goes to family. Um, but yes, it, it can be quite an onerous role in some circumstances. And whilst solicitors and trustee companies will assist, ultimately it's you, except if you authorize a trustee company to actually act, they can actually step into your shoes. Take over the role and actually take over the personal liability. Solicitors will assist people, but ultimately the executor remains the decision maker. So, what are the skills though, besides sort of commercial skills? I mean, one, you've got to be available. We've touched on it just before, Kate. I mean, it's uh, all very well to appoint someone as your uh, executor. But if they're living in New York and working over there as a you know a, a merchant banker or whatever you do in the, in, in New <laughs> York these days, you're just simply not available um, to do it. You must have a willingness to do it. There's no point if someone actually doesn't want to do it. They might have the skills, but they may not have the time or the inclination to do it. Very often, also, what I see is you know older people, so I'm thinking of your parents and grandparents, whatever else. Um, they've got a will where you know. Uh, they're 93 when they go, uh, and their partner is 97. And I can promise you, at 97, they don't want to be uh, administering estates. <laughs> so availability, willingness, and then coming down to the ability, which will depend upon the nature of your assets and issues of conflict, You know, again, investment properties and tax and CGT and land tax and you know overseas assets really is quite challenging so it would have to be someone who's skilled in those sorts of things and also someone who's willing or has the ability to deal with disputation unfortunately it, it we don't say it happens all of the time but there's enough examples of disputation that you know it's not for everybody and you've got to sometimes make um, judgment calls
2: Yeah, I can imagine if you had high levels of conflict within children or something like that, sometimes a third party or someone independent like a trustee could be more helpful there. It's one of the
0: reasons that we're often appointed because of, you know, either because there's the potential for conflict, which I hope doesn't happen, but they recognise it might happen, but also it's the, you know, putting a, a child or, a, you know, under pressure to have to make decisions or to involve themselves in commercial areas that they're not familiar with. So, you know, trusted companies are, are familiar with doing it, yeah.
2: Yeah, and this might change as your circumstances change as well. You might, have, you might not want to appoint your 15-year-old, but maybe 10 years later they're 25, they know a little bit more about investments and the properties and stuff, They might, you might decide to change your will and appoint a different executor.
0: Very important what you've just said. It's one thing to have a will. It's also very important to consider changes. Um, you know, you should review your will periodically, both because your circumstances change and there's a whole reason. I mean, relationships change. You might have new partners. You might have children. As you say, you know, people might have passed away about your assets i mean you know you might have very few assets at the start but ultimately you know you accumulate um, a house and a share portfolio or investment properties or whatever else change your lifestyle when you start working or if you move states or countries or you know different sorts of career changes that might also affect what you're doing so um, relationships assets just general circumstances should make you reflect upon your will and to see if it's still appropriate and current. And one of those important things, as you've identified, is the choice of the executor. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But there are some circumstances, Kate, also that are changed. Well, there's a legislative impact if there's a change in your life. And what I'm referring to there is I'll give examples of marriage and divorce. If someone marries, then that will revoke the will, your will, Unless it's made in contemplation of marriage or you express a contrary intention. So basically, it's, it's and the, the idea of that is to protect the spouse. All right. They don't want the someone you just married being worse off because um, uh, having married you. So marriage revokes the will. Now, compare that to divorce. If you were married and divorced, the will remains valid. Okay, marriage revoked it, but with the divorce, it remains current. But we put a line through the person whom you have divorced, unless there is a contrary intention. So we treat them as though they're predeceased. We just put a line through them and we move on and see how the will would otherwise uh, operate. But again, this relates to marriage and spouses. This is not the case with domestic partners. So then when people say they're all still on equal fours, not the case. They've certainly got much more equal rights in family law and claims uh, under estates and the like, but there's still certain differences. So, yeah.
2: so people in de facto relationships would definitely get legal advice here to make sure that the, the other person is included properly.
0: Yeah, I think all people in domestic relationships should be thinking about you know how they organise their affairs and, yes, and, and will's a very important part of, of that planning, yep.
2: Hmm. And what about where you where we store the will do we I mean some people say storing it in a fireproof safe I think that was made very popular through the barefoot investor but where's the best place to put it or should you give it to your your lawyer or what's up there uh,
0: That's a very good point uh, it's got to be somewhere it's safe and secure home is not a great place yes if you've got a fireproof safe something like that yes accept that Sort as of as someone's able to open it if, if, if you <laughs> go. Uh, Yeah, that's right. But um, but people say, "Oh, it's in my cabinet." It's you know, I've got a filing cabinet. It's fantastic. It's it's, it's metal. Um, but uh, uh, unfortunately, these days things can get stolen. You can have a fire. You can move house and not always be as um, um, good at um, uh, keeping everything in, in where it should be. So, look, trustee companies and solicitors. Uh, will generally store wills, particularly if they've made the will. um, It would be, in most cases, we'll store it without charge. Um, There are some firms that just don't want to store wills, but I'm sure they'll have some other arrangement with another firm that will. Uh, Community legal centres don't want to store wills because they don't keep files in in the same way, but it really should be somewhere safe and secure, and someone needs to know where it is. Now, with trustees, we actually have a will bank, So we'll store anyone's wills or powers of attorney regardless of whether we did it or not, and we're doing that because there's no central registry, which is amazing really, isn't it? They're they're trying to push now for a central registry for powers of attorney so there's someone you can look up and find, but there isn't one. Um, You can store in some of the courts around Australia, the Supreme Court's around Australia, but it's not very common. It was more common in um, years come past, but it's not very common now, mainly solicitors and like. But one of the problems is if someone doesn't know where it is, then how do you go about finding it? And this is, you know, because we're state trustees and we act for people who might be a coroner's referral or a hospital referral, we know nothing about the person. And there's no one there to tell me that there's a will. What do I do? And so what it means is I've got to go and search the home. I've got to go and see if there's solicitors he ever used in lifetime because he bought a house or had a Matrimonial, you know, family law issue or a local solicitor in you know in a rural area. I inquire of banks to see if it's got safe custody packets. I try and find family, friends, neighbors and ask. Might even advertise to see if someone's got a missing will. But sometimes, you know, that's very, very hard. You're you're mm-hmm. trying to locate something. So it's very, very important that you tell somebody where it is, somebody who's going to be around, so um, we can locate it. Because if you don't it could delay the administration of the estate, but more importantly, it might distribute to the wrong person, and that could have pretty serious ramifications. Yeah. So, um, yeah, store it safely and tell someone where it should be.
2: Yeah, that sounds like an important point that people yeah. should keep in mind. There. And what about if someone wants to make a claim on your estate? I know it's always um, in TV shows and movies; it's always very dramatic, and we've seen some big court cases play out in Australia with siblings warring over billions of dollars, but What's the process there if someone does that? Okay, um, yes, um, throughout uh, Australia
0: and in the, in the various states, there is the ability to claim for a greater share. Each state will have slightly um, different rules, but, you know, they're generally the same. Generally, I'll call it family provision claims. You would need to establish that someone had a moral obligation to provide for you that they made insufficient provision for you because you had greater needs or whatever it might be, and generally you need to be an eligible claimant. Now, that wasn't always the case. It was only since 2015 in Victoria that you had to be an eligible claimant. Before that, anyone could claim. That could be your next-door neighbour, your your niece, your postman, your your whatever else. And uh, once they brought those changes in, which is actually in line with more of the other states um, Mm. around Australia, had to be an eligible claimant, so obvious things like partners, children, stepchildren, grandchildren in certain circumstances. There's a number of other categories, but they're pretty limited. It does not include things like in Victoria, I'll say, and a number of the other states if they're common, but parents, oh. siblings, the niece. Nieces are always the ones who come in in the later in life with a grandparent and really provide a lot of assistance and care and support and whatever, mm-hmm. and they've done the hard yards, but because someone didn't update a will for many, many years and they weren't included, they might be locked out from being able to claim. So you are likely to be a have to be an eligible claimant, establish a moral obligation, insufficient provision made for you. There's certain rules that they'll look at as, well, we had to provide for others as well. You only had limited assets had they done a fair thing. So courts can, in some circumstances, rewrite a will. You don't have complete testamentary freedom, but the will is clearly your starting point. So, um, yes, there can be claims against your state, and yes, they're not uncommon, uh, and we have to deal with them all of the time, but they're significantly less than they used to be five years ago. But they're not the only disputes you can have, of course. Mm. Um, You can have, you know, those... You know beneficiaries who are disputing entitlement to chattels. There might be will Mm -hmm. interpretation issues. There could be creditors' claims. And someone says, "Oh, he he owed me fifty, you know, fifty dollars from you know whatever." And down the pub, he told me that you know he owed it to me. How do you establish those things? Fifty dollars we can live with. But what if it's fifty thousand dollars and it's a piece of paper? It's got his signature on it, but no other witnesses. You might Mm -hmm. have to make inquiries and and the like. Capacity can often be an issue because, you know, we're, we're getting our people who are hoping young people getting wills, but you think of their parents or the grandparents if they're making wills later in life. And all of a sudden there's a will which is a, ra- a radical departure from what they had before. There might be arguments over whether they had the capacity or undue influence or things of that nature. The other thing is missing wills. People turn up, they've got a copy of the will, say, so right, um, uh, I can't find the original, just prove the copy. So it's sort of a straightforward, easy exercise. No, it's not. Starting point is the court will require the original document, the original will. If you can't find it, starting point is you can't find it because it was torn up, it was revoked, and you would need to convince a court, no, this actually was intended to be the last document. You need evidence, gain cost, delay, time and angst to family. So. Um, very important, have a will, date your will, store it safely, tell someone where it is, and basically make sure it conforms with all of the rules. So, Kate, I hope that's given some benefit or get your uh, your audience thinking, and um, thank you very much for the invitation to come today.
2: No, thanks for coming on, Dave. And I think everyone's definitely learnt something here, if only to tell someone where their will is if they do have one already and how important the document is. So if people want to learn a bit more about you and state trustees, should they just head to the state trustees' website?
0: Absolutely, yes. Statetrustees.com.au, you'll get it on there and and the websites. And for people listening in other states, there will be public trustees in all of the different states and they'll serve the, the same function. Also, solicitors do wills and are very uh, competent, uh, most of them are pretty competent, but check with your <laughs> law institute. Well, what you should do, check with your law institute because they'll have a free service which will say, here are the people in your area who act in this area of law and generally, as in Victoria, they'll see you for a you know, consultation for half an hour, your first consultation, half an hour for free and you can decide whether that suits you or not.
2: Perfect. Sounds like a good plan. Well, David, thank you so much again for coming on today.
0: Thanks, Kate.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at HowToMoneyAUS, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.